1: Hey, everybody, I want to welcome you all to another episode of the Focus Hunting Podcast. On this episode, I'm joined by a few of the BHA boys, Alan Duffy and Jacob von Andrean. The three of us get together and talk about the BHA, and for those who aren't familiar, that's the Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. We talk about the BC chapter and its members, and for those who aren't members, I strongly urge you to go down and sign up. Uh, you can find access to their webpage through ours. Just go to focushunting.ca, click on their link, and it'll take you right to their webpage. Before we get going on today's episode, I want to address a question or concern i guess i had from a listener who we're just going to call eddie because i'm just assuming that's his first name eddie writes and says hey hey kevin i enjoy your show but compared to some other shows your sound quality just isn't quite up to their standards are you aware of this um yep eddie thanks for writing in and sharing your concerns i I do my best to keep the audio quality up unfortunately with COVID, all the episodes that i'm doing right now are being done over zoom so but uh but i'll do my best to keep working on that like i mentioned in the beginning these podcasts are a work in progress and they're hopefully going to continue to get better and improve and hopefully they've improved from the first ones i've done but uh i really do appreciate writing in and to show you just how much i appreciate that i'm going to send you over a $100 gift card to Cabela's. Cabela's has hooked me up with some gift certificates that I'm going to be giving away to you guys uh again if you guys have any questions or comments or concerns uh, or thoughts on how i can improve the show write me in you guys can write me at info at i'd love to hear from you guys and uh just to show you how much i appreciate you guys writing in i'm going to be sending out gift cards to those people who write in and i'm going to be sending out focus gear as well so you guys write me in and let me know what's up i'll i'll send you out something uh, i think we're going to get going on this episode here so i hope you guys enjoy it this sucks thanks for joining me today guys
2: thanks for having us kevin
1: yeah thank you so maybe before we get into who you guys are maybe um one of you can just give a bit of a backstory on the backcountry hunters and anglers
2: i'll take that one uh... Kevin. So uh, Backcountry Hunters and Anglers was formed uh, down in Montana um, and they've been rapidly growing all across North America, but um, the fastest growing conservation organization in North America right now. So the the BC chapter came here in about uh, 2014. There was um, a little meeting here in Cranbrook, BC and uh, Bill Hanlon, who is now on our North American board, was the spearhead there. And, and he had been reading lots about BHA and got involved. And so he, he set it up so that um, Lan Tawney, who's the CEO, um, came up here and they did a, they did a meeting here in Crownwick. That's when, that's when I got involved. And uh, you know it started here in the East Kootenays and we were attracting members across the province, but it, it didn't really take off across the province until uh, we restructured, which I can get into a little bit later, but we restructured kind of the way we were doing things. And that all took off about 2017, 2018, 2019. And that's when we saw the the rapid growth here in in BC.
1: Gotcha. So now maybe Alan, you could just give us a bit of your backstory. Um, who you are, and why, and how you got involved with the BHNA.
2: I'm. Um, uh, I actually was born in Ireland, moved to Canada when I was eight years old, and um, grew up in a small town. I wasn't really you know, I did a lot of hiking, I was kind of into the outdoors, It wasn't really a a thing in our family. So I I guess I came into hunting, probably what you would call now an adult onset hunter, I've heard that term. But anyways, in my 30s, sort of took to it right away and got pretty, pretty involved. Um, And then uh, the BHA, you know, I've been looking for a place to give back and try to figure out you know, how am I going to, you know, how am I going to get back to this, to this uh, pastime and this recreation activity that, that I enjoy so much. Um, and I wasn't really resonating with some of the other organizations. And then, um, you know, BHA came about and I saw a fit there, you know, my, my style of uh, hunting and my passion is, is getting kind of away from things and into the back country. And um, I saw it as a, as a need that we need to preserve that. So so I, that sort of made me gave me the interest and I got involved as a member uh, and then that slowly evolved where I started running some fundraisers and then um, the big takeoff point for my involvement was in 2016, I think it was or 2017 right before the the the, BC, the election not the one we just had but the prior one. we did a, a big wildlife management roundtable here in, in Cranbrook. we had uh, a bunch of different organizations present and uh, ask government for for some specific you know wants on on wildlife management and that i organized that whole thing uh, with a bunch of other guys and that's kind of got me really involved and and then From there, I became chair of the Kootenai Regional Table, and then uh, from there, chair of the Provincial Organization. Right on.
1: Cool. How about you, Jacob? Now, you and I were talking a bit uh, before Alan joined us, and it was pretty interesting to hear your story. You haven't been involved in hunting all that long, and um, now um, you're the president, I think, of the UBCO chapter. So maybe you can just give us a little bit of your background and then tell us a bit about the chapter you
3: Yeah, sure. So
1: um,
3: I moved here from Germany in 2012 with my parents and my older brother, Um, the youngest of four. We left the two oldest ones in Germany. Um, They just graduated school, so they're all right. Um, I was always curious about hunting, but, uh, you know, Germany and Europe, that was never really very accessible. Um, in the village I grew up in there's a couple of guys who hunted and I chat with them and you know look at the antlers on their wall that kind of thing there's a guy who had a herd of fallow deer you know fenced in and you could you know walk by and and see those I was very fascinated with that but uh, once we made that decision to move to um Canada pretty quickly um I think after one year of living here, I decided, okay, it's it's time to get my hunting license. Luckily, my dad was very supportive with that. You know, he signed me up in the course and uh, helped me out with my, my core and all of that. And uh, then I adopted a sort of brute force method of going out, which included anyone who ever mentioned that they hunted, you know, who I met no matter what, whether they were boarding a horse at our place or anything like that. I'd get their phone number and on the way home from school during fall you know, 3.30, 4 o'clock, I'd be, have a list of four or five people who I'd be ringing up and asking like, hey, you got time to take me out for an hour tonight, that kind of thing, just to be hunting tailed. And yeah, that went on for a few years. Once I graduated, turned 18, I really just started hunting on my own and realized the type of hunting I want to do is with a backpack on my back and hiking around and uh, not, yeah, away from cars, away from roads, away from people. I found out about BHA initially, I think through social media, um, got a membership late in 2017. And uh, I think I, like my first sort of involvement with BHABC started because I replied to an email um, that I got a reply almost instantly from Alan um, about, I believe it was they're looking for volunteers for the um, Southern Interior Sportsman Show. So kind of got involved with that and started helping out with Region 8 BHA, which was just kind of getting going then. And um, then a guy, I didn't really start the um, collegiate club at UBCO. It's a guy called uh, Mateen Hasami. He moved up here from Montana a few years ago. He's a a master's student at UBCO. And he and somebody started the first ever BHA collegiate club down at the University of of Montana there. So he really spearheaded that. I like the sound of it. And I hopped on last year year as vice president. Last year was our first year. And this year I took over as president because he's a master student. He's a busy guy. But we got a a team of guys there and it's been been very fun so far.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I bet. So now do you guys team up on a lot of issues? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead,
2: Alan. Sorry. Okay, I'll take I'll take that. Um, yes, yeah, we team up on on a lot of things. I mean, they're the collegiate clubs are independent, but they also rely on the the, the parent chapter. In this case, being the British Columbia chapter. But you know, you know, Jacob is a part of the collegiate club. But he's also a member of of the of the chapter. You don't have to be both. You can be just a collegiate club member. But um, you know, most of these guys do do join both. Um, and yeah, we collaborate a ton and uh, Mateen and uh, Jacob and Addison, the guys that are in the collegiate club, they, they are involved in our monthly meetings and, and they really add a lot of um, context to some of the stuff that's going on provincially at the same time they're working on their own things down there in the collegiate club so so it's very much a partnership for sure.
1: Right, so how many chapters of the BHNA are there?
2: Uh, so there's a chapter in almost every state in the, in, in the I can S I can't, I can't, I think there's a few still missing. And then in Canada, we have Alberta, uh, British Columbia and the Yukon. And um, we have, we have members though all the way across Canada, but those are the, the three formalized chapters that oh, yeah. will, that will change in the, I don't want to say near future. I'll just say that will change in the future because we we kind of put things on hold as we uh, and this is from the you know from the uh, the board level, not not the chapter level, but the but the large larger board organization uh, based out of Missoula is looking at you know nonprofit status and uh, charitable status in Canada. So we don't want to add any chapters until we we do a, a little bit more work going down that road.
1: Right. Now, there's a lot of contiguous chapters in the bhNA um, I imagine there's a lot of coordinated efforts on species specific issues um, such as say uh, the Selkirk mountain caribou I remember a few years ago that was quite the hot topic and there was a coordinated effort in BC um, with the biologists I don't know how much I don't know how much of a hand the province had in that uh, I know there was work being done between the biologists here and I think the biologists in Washington State had a lot more hands-on approach and they were doing quite a bit more collar work with, uh, with the Salt Kirk. Is this something you guys spend a lot of time in working in conjunction with those other chapters on transporter species?
2: Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's something that we're, we're, we're really starting to to grow. Uh, it, you know, I'll give you a couple of recent examples like here in the East Kootenays, <clears throat> there's a, there's uh, some concerns about selenium levels in the water from the coal mines in, in the Elk Valley and that goes down in, into the Kootenay River and ends up crossing the border into Montana. So um, we have coordinated with the Montana ch- chapter on, uh, on some of that work there. And um, CWD, which uh, you probably know is, is a big concern. So far, we don't have it in BC, but <clears throat> if it's gonna enter BC, it might be in this corner because they do have it just below us in Montana. So we, d- we share a lot of information back and forth on, on CWD. Um yeah so those those are a couple of of examples but that's going to grow more and more.
1: Right. Now um one thing we haven't covered on on my podcast is is you know it's fairly new is CWD. Now without getting into too much detail could you just maybe tell everybody what CWD is for those who don't know?
2: CWD chronic wasting disease it's a disease that um hits uh ungulates mostly prevalent in uh, whitetail and mule deer but it can can enter and uh, into elk and moose and, and other ungulates. Um, basically, it's it's a non curable disease that essentially will destroy the animal over time. Uh, it's based on prions, which again I'm not scientific, but the the prions are like proteins that that can be prevalent basically anywhere. So they can be on the ground, of course, they can be in the animal. So once it's once it hits a certain area it's uh it can spread very easily and that's that's the big concern
1: yeah um that's not an easy question to answer but uh, i think you did a good job there cwd is something i think you could spend a whole podcast talking about but uh it is an important issue so thanks for for touching on that and uh and yeah i think you guys in the kootenays there you're doing a little bit of mandatory testing for cwd now aren't you
2: yeah, and that's a that's a good program. And for those that are interested, Kevin, we uh, BHA will be having a will be having an info session with the the biologist out of Victoria, Kate Nelson, on February seventeenth, I believe. But I can get you some more information on that. But yeah, that'd be great. It, so yeah, that that's exactly right. It's um, they've started testing here in the Kootenays, and they're testing basically the any zone that's on the montana border so for example i took a i took a white tailed deer near the end of the season this year happened to be you know in a in a zone on that border so that was mandatory testing and and uh, the head has to be submitted
1: yeah well hopefully it. uh Hopefully it doesn't find its way into BC, but uh, I know in Alberta, I've got some friends out there and a brother out there and it's driving a lot of concern out there. So um, yeah, it's just one of those unfortunate things. And uh, I know in the States too, there's a lot of concern. They obviously have been dealing with it a lot longer than we have, so they have seemed to handle on it. Well, actually, I don't know if they've gotten a handle on it, but I think they're probably a lot better equipped to deal with it than we are. And I think that's probably one of the nice things about the BHNA is having multiple chapters. You get the ability to talk and learn from other chapters who have dealt with stuff like this in the past and, uh, and uh, figure out ways to get in front of it.
2: You know, that's what we have to do is learn from them. Um, I mean, obviously the first line of defense is stopping it from coming here, but uh, we can't stop the deer from moving around. But The scientists believe that that it may most likely way that it'll come in here is is a hunter bringing in a carcass from from a different jurisdiction. So that's one thing they're extremely worried about. And, you know, there's restrictions around that. But I think uh, the more education we can provide as as, um, you know, as, as fellow hunters is one very good way to stop it from coming. Yeah,
1: no doubt. Now, with conservation, there always seems to be more questions than answers uh, and having partners in the U.S. Uh, and seeing issues that are happening down there that eventually might make their way up to Canadian soil. Is there a way you guys use in predicting these issues and uh, certain ways you guys try to get ahead of them?
2: I mean, I think, you know, we, we work together, you know, on advocating for, for the conservation of wild lands and wild waters and, and wildlife. Um, and we can share different information and and that sort of thing as far as those things go. I, I think like the c w d specific I- example like that's that's already happening. I mean it's happening at the provincial level um our our biologists are on you know monthly conference calls with biologists all across North america so it's it's good to see that that's happening. but I think where we can share ideas with the other chapters is um, you know, when we're advocating for better funding models, or uh, you know, better ways to to, to count uh, animals, or whatever that might be, um, you know, I, I think that there's a lot of good information that can be shared back and forth on on that sort of thing. Fair chase policies, you know, things that things that are um, you know maybe not necessarily because you know we're not we're not scientists by any means or biologists, so. I want to leave that part to them, but we want to be able to tell them, you know, what we think should be happening as far as uh, they, uh, what, what, what we see happening on the landscape. Yeah, if that, if that yeah,
1: and you know, it doesn't, maybe sharing information on, uh, because th- these other chapters are obviously working with biologists and, you know, bio- the, some biologists... In BC, but they might not have uh, direct contact with a biologist down in, say, Montana, but, um, I mean, obviously you guys do. You guys have right. the Montana chapter. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's yeah, just yeah. sharing information that way.
2: Exactly. And, that, and that, a lot of that happens where you say, wow, okay, this is what they're doing in, in Idaho, or this is what they're doing in Montana, and then and we can share that with, um, you know, with the provincial organizations here and say, hey, did you guys know, this is how they're, you know, this is how they're allocating for elk, or this is what they're doing for, for studying sheep or whatever that might be.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good. That's good. Now in talking to other nonprofit organizations, uh, the constant seems to be maintaining growth. Now you guys mentioned you're the fastest growing nonprofit organization out there. Um, Now I, I know a lot of that means a lot of growth means connecting to a younger demographic and then, uh, At the same time, I mean, obviously the North American wildlife model, it just didn't appear. Uh, There's a lot of history involved in where conservation is today. And uh, I I know like the younger generation of members, um, they're going to have a better understanding of, say, certain aspects of technology and and how to put that technology to use. And, you know, on the other end, um, the legacy or older generations, you know, they know that everything up to date just didn't happen by accident. Now, Jacob, uh, maybe you can you can address this. Uh, I imagine your chapters consist of of a primarily younger generation. So uh, how do you connect the new generations with members of uh, the old guard, so to speak?
3: I mean, the the whole point of our club is to give people that, that entrance into that, the conservation world. And um, we, we try and amplify that the role and, and educate people on the role of the north american model through guest speakers and just um you know through any any interaction we have we talk we, we try and we try and work that in we have um later in this for us in this semester i believe march or april we will have a um a webinar for example with um mark hall um one of the so a conservationist here in BC, and he's going to be um, talking to our members exactly about that, how how hunting drives conservation work in North America through the North American model.
1: Gotcha. So now with the younger generation, do you find uh, conservation awareness is something that uh, is present in the younger generation, or, or do you find it's more, um, they're just unaware of what's maybe happening in BC? Because BC has a lot of issues going on with it right now, and I don't think uh, very many people um that i don't think they're aware of what's really going on um do you find the younger generation is is already aware of of these issues or is it something that you kind of have to bring to light to them
3: we we certainly have to bring it to light um i i have a whole spiel in my head that i rattle off way too much i think um but certainly i think many conservation issues here especially in bc people my age i'm 21 but most most of my peers are largely just unaware of it.
1: Yeah, what's your spiel? Do you? I think we got time to hear it.
3: <laughs> well, I usually start with uh, forest road densities in in the southern interior. Uh, I think it's what two point seven to three point six linear uh, kilometers of road per square kilometer of ground. Uh, how you see grizzly bear use like some of those um, large keystone species? You see use of that habitat decrease at about. Point five kilometers per square kilometer you know I just some of those sort of statistics and issues around forestry road deactivation um some mismanagement and just disturbances that you that you very used to. I live near a provincial park and you see people creating new trails all the time, and nobody thinks twice about it, but it's you know it's just and now that you're just adding disturbance all the time in multifaceted ways and uh it's something i yeah talk about a whole lot and think about a whole lot the whole story is longer and more detailed but i do believe that um most people are aware of such things that
1: yeah well you know i was 21 um half a lifetime ago and when i was 21 i just i did not care at all about what was going on uh with our wildlife i I was always involved in hunting and fishing but um, there's no way I would have donated any of my time. I was too busy um, chasing girls or working or being late for work and uh, it, and I wish now I would have been a little bit involved to probably have a lot better understanding of it uh, right now at the age of 42. but you find the younger generation their perceptive to all this it's not it's not too overwhelming for them
3: No certainly not. I am um, I've been really impressed how many people they hear that and they want to, the next question is, well, what can we do? And uh, I find oftentimes the, what can we do can be quite mundane. You know, you got to read you read proposals for development and you got to submit your comment. And that's, that's some of those ways you just have to engage is, is, you know, you can't run out there with a big sign and, and start protesting. I think uh, a lot of those issues are a little bit too small and nuanced to, to you know have a you want a little bit more focused message and it's yeah a lot of times it's through submitting comments on on a a website to bc but it's writing emails to mlas and stuff like that and uh some you know half the people half the people that are actually interested when i give my spiel actually do that i think we're doing pretty good already
1: oh go you got some data, alan go ahead
2: Oh, and I was just going to echo what, what Jacob said. I, I do think that, and I think you probably are. We're going to allude to this too, Kevin. I mean, BC has another unique problem in in that fact that most of our population is in a big city, and they don't really understand what's happening around the province because they just see what's happening around the Lower Mainland. So, so we've got that factor in BC, but but I do think that younger generation uh, and 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 BHA has has been successful in attracting. Um, the younger generation, I think our average age is under 40. So we, I think they are ready to to listen and learn and, and, uh, uh, they certainly they're, they're, they're keen. Um, but I would agree with what you guys are both saying. Like it, it does for the most people, it takes a, a piece of education for them to even understand that there are issues out there.
1: Yeah. And I, I think too, it's just the willingness to get involved, um, because um, it's one thing to donate, one thing to donate your money, but uh, donating your time is, is something that nowadays, especially something a lot harder to get people to commit
2: to. It definitely is. It's probably our biggest challenge for sure. Yeah.
1: In your chapter with these, with these chapters, if somebody say a member wanted to become more involved with the BHNA BC chapter, um, but say there wasn't a current opening in in a specific role, would you guys open up a spot for them? You just just uh make up a new role for that member to become more involved with the uh, with the chapter
2: well uh, absolutely i mean it, you know we're a we're a grassroots kind of member driven um member driven organization and and if you've got some ideas and you want to share and you want to put some time in we're we'll definitely find a find a place for you that's that's not an issue for sure
1: yeah. So people don't have to worry about getting turned away or anything like that.
2: No, no. I mean, you know, yeah, no, as long as your philosophy is in line with our, you know, our mission statement, um, and you want to help, uh, we want you. Um, and we've got, you know, whether it be, you know, you've got some skills in, you know, social media or whether it be, you want to just get out on the boots on the ground days and pick up garbage or whatever we're doing. Like, you know, the, there's the full range of roles that are, that we need help on and, and, uh, we're, we're looking for folks to step up for sure.
1: Yeah. Now I imagine you guys have quite the, quite the workload going on Alan and uh, and Jacob, but uh, one thing uh, I don't think a lot of resident hunters are aware of is how much of their license and tag dollars actually get cycled back into the wildlife. Now in our emails uh, you mentioned Alan, that one thing the BC chapter is working on right now is a dedicated funding or dedicated funding model. Can you explain that for me?
2: Yeah, so, you know, BHA, uh, for the last several years have been, well, for as long as I've been involved, have been, you know, pushing government for for some dedicated funding for wildlife. And uh, we're not the only ones, um, you know, BC Wildlife Fed, uh, Wild Sheep Society, UABC. They're, you know, we're all sort of saying it, maybe in different words, but we're all saying it. Um, and, and I think it's a, a message that we're trying to send to government that, that uh, you, there's just not enough money available to properly manage wildlife you know and in back and forth in our emails we talked about you know the lights the licensing so yes uh, the the HCTB habitat conservation trust fund there's a portion of your t- tags go to that and then you know you, the, that money is is allocated for uh, habitat and and, and uh, restoration and all sorts of other things so you know that's good, but it's just it's there's nothing that says hey every time you buy a, a license uh, and a tag that that all that money is going into into wildlife, and the other piece of it is that you know this some of the, the the jurisdictions in the U.S. for example who they have that it's, they they had a, a law passed in the '60s that said all license fees have to go into wildlife management, but then they added onto that you know outdoor recreational. Uh, taxes. So, if you buy a sleeping bag or a tent, you know there's a piece that of that that gets put into those funds. So, there's if we have a dedicated funding model, whatever that looks like, and, and we can't answer that today. But if we have it and says, "Hey, we're going to create a fund that's dedicated to wildlife management," we can figure out ways to add money to that. And and that's we can't do any of that. And and hunters are are really unwilling. To add more money to the system until they know that it's going to result in projects that are going to enhance wildlife. Um, you know, we have a, It's pretty. I think we are a very. Uh, you know, very. I don't want to say the word cheap, but I mean it's pretty cost effective to hunt in BC. You know, a, yeah, a deer tag is. doesn't. You know, a deer tag doesn't cost much. I no. think most hunters would pay double. If you told them, hey, this is going to go to enhance, you know, the the, the deer habitat. Stuff
1: yeah, like no, I agree one 100%. And I would have no problem spending $100 on a moose tag if I knew uh, for certain of that money was going to go back into um, wildlife management. But uh, one thing you mentioned there was... Uh, the, the tax on sporting goods and stuff. Yeah. We, we touched base on that previous podcast with one of the members of the SEI interior chapter. And that was the, the Pittman Roberts uh, fund yeah. and, and Dingle Johnson fund. Yeah. It'd be nice yeah. to adapt that sort of, that sort of system in Canada. I don't know. I have no idea how we'd go about doing that, but that's something I think we would be benefit to, to look into.
2: Yeah. And I think we can, you know, we can take what's been done down there. Like they were done at the federal level down there, but um we can take that some of those lessons and, and apply it. And, you know, both of those have, have been very successful. And, and I think, you know, the outdoor recreation community, non hunters uh, would would be, you know, I think they'd be open to it as well. If you, if there was a, a, you know, education to go along with it.
1: Yeah. Has there ever been any sort of movement towards, um, separating our wildlife from, like taking it out of our government hands, and, and uh, maybe starting a, a governing body to manage our wildlife and it, the wildlife finances.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's ongoing discussions about that, and uh, you know, I think there's, I think there's pros and cons to that. I, some some of that makes me a little bit nervous, but but at the other, at the other on the other hand, I think okay, that could definitely uh, be be something we sh- we should look at. But yeah, there, there, there's been ongoing discussions and it's still being discussed at, uh, in the Together for Wildlife and that whole initiative that's been going on for the last three years with government. You know, that, that piece is in there for sure. Um, you know, with angling, it's, it's happened already to a certain degree. So, so that model is being looked at. Uh, so I, I think it's certainly something to look at. And I think we just have to be careful if, if we implement it that way
1: right um so you mentioned mentioned you're uh you're nervous or hesitant about it what what would you see as a as a downside of of moving to something like that
2: well i think uh you know it it just depends on the structure and and who's overseeing the the creation of the committee that's that's in charge of that 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 would be i guess that would be the big concern is like you know who's who's making up that that oversight committee and uh I think getting it separate makes sense. If the oversight is in place, that that also makes sense.
1: Yeah. Um, Well, there's going to be a lot of politics involved, and I don't even I couldn't even imagine how how you'd even go about addressing that to the government saying well we're going to we want all the funding from hunting and fishing taken out of your control and and we're going to give it to a, a separate governing body cuz that's a lot of that's a lot of revenue that the province is going to going to lose and now I know there's some fallacies on how much of that money is actually put back in conservation I don't know I don't know those numbers off the top of my head but I always hear Numbers like oh, only ten percent is put it back into the actual wildlife, or only you know forty percent of is put back into it. So um, yeah, I mean, adapting a a policy like that would take a lot of work, and um, yeah, it'd be it'd be a hard sell, I think, towards if, when you approach it to the government.
2: Yeah, you know, there there is that aspect, and then I think you also have to look at the the rest of the um, interested parties and in the communities. Like you know, is is a an environmental organization like wild going to be palatable to uh you know a, a board of you know mostly right. consumptive users like hunters and anglers yeah. r- running you know running our wildlife probably not so th- yeah. those are the kind of little things that i i, I see being a, a pitfall but um and you're right I, I don't think anyone has the answer to what funding actually you know percentage gets there we just we just know it's not enough when you look at our board uh, you know our, our neighbors to the south. You know they have exponentially larger budgets for wildlife than we do. For-
1: yeah, yeah, and yeah, and when you you tell people about that, that, then their response is, "Well, there's ten times as many people down in the U.S." But you look at a state like uh montana and how much money that goes back into management of their wildlife montana doesn't have more people than than uh than canada or bc for that matter so um yeah but it's interesting what you said there about um the other interested parties uh that's one thing i never thought about it because yeah there's definitely going to be some backlash you know like that you can't just give hunters all this power to manage our wildlife because that's that's going to fly over like a lead balloon
2: yeah i think it will or it could it's a potential i think it's just a factor that we all have to you know we'd have to consider yeah we went down that road and so yeah i just see it uh could could we improve the what we have i think we can And, and if and if uh if improving it if the only way to improve it is to create this separate entity then i guess we could look at that but um you know i think we have to definitely improve it there's no question about that
1: yeah, no, I agree. So, I mean, in BC, there are so many issues that are going on. Um, do you guys work in a collaborated effort with other organizations? Or, you know, work in a collaborated approach with, say, um, SCI or the Wild Sheep Society of BC or anything like that?
2: Yeah, we, we do. Um, Wild Sheep Society, you brought that up. I mean, we've done uh, restoration work <clears throat> down in, in the Okanagan. Jacob can probably speak to that because I think he's, he's been to those those actual <clears throat> events. And then, you know, up here in the Kootenays, we've done some invasive species stuff and some restoration work with them. And uh, up in the north as well, some stuff around access management, you know, sharing information back and forth. So we definitely work with them. Same with the BC Wildlife Federation. The, uh, G.O.A.B.C., um, the trappers. Trappers are a very uh, good group because, you know, they see what's happening at the, the landscape level that, you know, even hunters sort of miss. So, so they're, they're a really good group to, to share information back and forth. And SCI, Kevin, I have, we, we haven't done work with them, but, but I have a, a chain of emails going back and forth with those guys for us to to get together and it just it just hasn't happened so uh yeah Yeah,
1: well i mean uh with the state of the world right now it's tough to get anything done um i mean there's only so much you can do i mean well with technology today i mean there is a lot you can do but it's just not the same and jacob and i talked about it earlier having on that discussion there what kind of hurdles has the bhna met with with the covid pandemic
2: well we talked you know we talked earlier about growth and and how quickly we were growing well that that all sort of Slowed down in 2020 that that's for sure so one of the ways that we've been successful in in growth is 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 meeting people and word of mouth and and uh you know jacob mentioned it you know i i called or he called out to say hey i'm happy to volunteer and i called him right away and said okay let's set up a booth at the interior sportsman show and that's when i first met jacob and you know at that show we signed up 86 members i think it was um you know that show didn't didn't happen this year you know so those are the kinds of things that are that are that have uh slowed us down a little bit government has um you know been focused obviously on on covid so it's kind of put them on hold from a lot of things that have been happening there so it's taking a long time to get answers and things happening there um but but the membership engagement piece and and the you know trying to trying to first of all talk to people that aren't members, but then also continue to engage with our current members. I'd say that's been the biggest hurdle and, uh, we've been facing and I think all the organizations have been facing.
1: Yeah. And I think for all of us, I think, you know, the government's going to have, it's going to have a full plate here for a long time dealing with, um, the economy, uh, economy recovery plan that this, this COVID pandemic has put us all in. So I imagine, um, getting our wildlife or our individual concerns addressed by the government is going to be going to be quite the challenge. How do you guys prioritize your agenda? I mean, like going back to all the issues that are going on in BC. How do you guys sort of prioritize what you want to focus on for the year? Um, w- you know, which which issues you're going to address first, that sort of thing.
2: You know, we've got a you know our mission and value statement that kind of we, we we check back on. But the, we talked about a little bit earlier with the COVID thing. I mean, we were supposed to get together as a as a chapter board last March when all of this. Uh, this hit, so we never got together in person. So that was going to be our, you know, annual planning session. So that that kind of uh, put us back a little bit. But yeah, we we just take our, you know, the issues and run them through our mission and values and say, okay, where do we want to concentrate? And I, I think I sent you the three priorities as far as legislation, funding model, and the Together for Wildlife. You know, keeping that momentum going there. And I, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry. But at the same time, we also want to be looking at. Uh, Things that are impacting the landscape that you know BHA would be concerned about, and things like road density, like uh, like Jacob talked about, um, or big you know big uh, recreational tenures that that might impact wildlife and habitat. So that's that's always on our radar, and we're trying to look out for those types of things.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm talking to other groups as well. I mean, road density is a huge one. I don't think I don't think the general public is aware of the devastation of road density, and even hunters. I know a lot of hunters think it's great that now they get access to all these areas that they never used to get. They don't see the real long-term implications of all of them. So
2: um, no, they don't, and that's where you know the education piece has to has to come into play. But again, then again, we need more funding for more research, and yeah, that it's just a vicious circle that we have here in bc yeah so
1: now bhna obviously it has uh, a lot more members and you said it's in all 48 states do you guys have funding access to the bhna or is it just set as a chapter individual type of thing
2: yeah so we're we're unique a little bit in the in the bha world but yeah so alberta bc yukon our funding is all internal and stays and stays internal so there's no sharing there's no real sharing back and forth Oh, I see. So members that sign up with us, they pay their membership fee in Canadian dollars, <clears throat> and the fundraising that we do is, is stays here in BC. Gotcha,
1: gotcha. Yeah, I. Uh, back to that. I just remembered something. I think I actually met you, Alan, at the pint pint night here in Kelowna.
2: Oh yeah, okay. That I, I was there for sure. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think I met you there uh, at that night. I. It's a little foggy. I don't remember the whole night. Um, <laughs> But I'm pretty sure uh, I met you there, so uh, that's funny. It, it was was that
2: the one at the train station or the one at the? Uh, we had two there in the last. Yeah, few years. it
1: wasn't. A, it was at uh, not at the train station at the packing house.
2: Yes. Okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah I'm pretty sure it was nice. the packing house. Yeah, I didn't yeah. go to the other one, but uh, it was a lot of fun. Those things are a lot of fun. So hopefully, when um, all this crap is over, you guys continue to have those because those are great. That you know um there's nothing that brings people together better than uh beer and hunting stores that was a lot of fun
2: yeah absolutely i mean that's yeah that little, that those little events those are the kinds of things i was talking about that that that's um <clears throat> that's how we were able to engage with members and haven't been able to do that so yeah well hopefully uh
1: hopefully in 2022 we'll we'll get back to normal here i'm hoping yeah So, Jake, one thing I read uh, that I wanted to ask you about was the Big White expansion. Now, um, in terms of that sort of expansion, what kind of effect does that have on the wildlife? Why are we concerned about that?
3: Um, Where to start? Um, So, Big White specifically, they're looking to double in size, looking to double their CRA from 3,000 to 6,900 acres. Those impacts, um, I mean, start with there's three three thousand hectares that are going to be developed. they are looking at seven, go- uh, we're looking at two golf courses. I think there's, you know, more development, uh, just residential, ATV trails, new lifts, glading, all that sort of thing. Um, so you just have some immediate habitat loss that you're looking at, um, and then there's water use. You're looking it's big white specifically because that's what we're working on in region eight right now. Water use you're looking at about 125 million gallons a year out of the headwaters of the Kettle River system, just already a challenged uh, watershed. We already having issues with low flow. Um, water quality is also an issue there. We have uh, planning for golf courses, which has a you know pretty good chance for a runoff there, as well as ATB trail development and early on in new ski run development you often see some runoff of the topsoil there as well so you're going to see some sedimentation in the um, in the smaller streams or that are that are feeding the uh, kettle river watershed other than that it's just sort of you're adding another another hub you're expanding another hub for more access outside of that immediate cra um in the big white proposal, there is some language around providing sort of a staging area for snowmobilers to further access the backcountry in the Okanagan highlands. I would most certainly say that one thing we do not need is more access um, there's plenty of access to plenty of places and the somewhat undisturbed places where um wildlife can still find you know some refuge in the winter when they're the most stressed. I think that should be preserved and uh yeah there doesn't need to be more access there.
1: Yeah, well I mean expansion is everywhere. I mean it's prevalent here in the Okanagan. I mean everywhere you look they're, they're putting new subdivisions up and new homes up and uh, I know uh you know Kelowna's not the only place um that's affected by it. So expansion yeah, I mean when people say that um well that doesn't that doesn't affect me, I don't know why. Why uh why we're talking about it um it kind of does affect you it affects every yeah, I mean, with expansion, you're going to have road access. So I, I just uh, I don't think people put enough emphasis on road access because I've, you know, I've been in the backcountry for a number of years now, and I've, I've certainly seen the change in the landscape. I don't know how we work on it or, or how we change it, but it's definitely something that, that needs to be addressed.
3: It's a, I mean, it's a multifaceted thing. I don't want to sound too adversarial, of course, because I enjoy skiing. I'm a seasoned pass holder, and, um, you know, if, if there was more lifts – there's there's pros and cons to that, of course, and there's ways to really, I mean, there's careful ways to do that development to really ensure that impact isn't so negative, and there's offsetting measures that that these um, big companies can take. You know, you want six thousand nine hundred acres of crown land that is effectively like tenured, and and we're losing access, and there's going to be impacts there's ways to offset that establish and enforce a, a non motorized vehicle area of the same size as something that, that we would, for example, like to see in region eight, sort of to offset those, those impacts, especially the habitat loss and disturbance that you're going to see with more use of that area. Um, you know, that'd be a way for a big company like big white to, to sort of offset those measures.
1: Right. So like is your chapter working on a strategic plan um with big white? Or like are you guys are, are they aware of your concerns
2: on this? They will be soon, I guess. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah so, we're
3: uh, currently working together to to draft sort of a position letter and uh and from then on, hopefully, yes, we'll be working together rather than against each other.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Working together is definitely a lot more productive than working against each other, that's for sure.
2: It, it just, uh, you know, the big white is, is an example. And, and I'm, I'm like Jacob, I, I ski, you know, I, I, have a, I have a quad, I have a snowmobile, uh, I have horses. I, I get out there in the backcountry all different ways. But there are just places that we shouldn't go or, you know, we just don't need to be to be in there with, with motorized vehicles or with, with industri- industry or whatever that might be. And, um, you know, it comes back to, to some of the things that we're pushing at, at the provincial level, which is, you know, we need to change legislation so that wildlife and habitat is, is an actual factor in the decision-making. And right now, right now it's not. And, and then you have all this adversarial back and forth from organizations like ourselves saying, hey, wait a minute, that, we don't like that. That doesn't look right. Whereas if it was a priority in legislation to start with, um you might not have as much uh, conflict
1: it seems to be a common issue in government that some of the decisions are made on yeah on not on a lot of scientific basis but just on what's going to get you the best votes or what your electoral electoral promise was so right. yeah i don't know how we change that moving forward but um you guys are definitely on it and i mean by my, myself I'm, I'm grateful that uh, there's great organizations like the backcountry hunters and anglers out there and the, and the rest of them doing uh, all this hard work for us that uh it's good to have you guys out there is there anything else you guys wanted to talk about today Jacob, is there any, is there any issues that, uh, that you'd like to share or maybe make aware to anybody listening today?
3: Well, within Region 8 specifically, something we're actually working on right now, and we've been sort of putting the message out is Region 8 is a big region. We have, there's multifaceted issues, but most of us in the leadership group here are based in Kelowna. So if people have local concerns that they're not seeing addressed, that they would like to work on, and that they have a, fairly good understanding of this thing i would say is get in touch with us and uh, that way we can work together and deal with those small issues because i find things big things start small right and uh you know i the mo the, the best way i get fired up to do some work and and get engaged with people and, and start new things is going to a boots on the ground project that's sort of where i get the most fired up because i meet meet people that are like-minded and like to like to work hard and from there on you know you chat about oh you see this in my backyard there's a bunch of garbage there well let's go clean it up and from there you start working together on on other things and that's how you get the ball rolling
1: i think uh i think maybe for some people a major deterrent is not knowing where to start so when you say reach out to you how do people get a hold of you we're quite active on
3: on social media if you you know if, if you're active on there message them otherwise if you go to backcountryhuntersbc.com.ca i think alan will correct me if i'm wrong um there is the provincial email address should be available there if you send them a message it'll get forwarded and i'll, I'll hear about it if it has to do with region eight and uh, i will reply
1: right so that's your primary focus is uh, region eight i'm i'm 50
3: 50 i i like to spend a lot of time on this so uh right. I do work with the collegiate club as, as, much as region eight, um, depending on, you know, with, with COVID right
1: now. Oh, I get you. Yeah. Okay. It depends. Depends on time of year. Yeah. How about you, Alan?
2: Um, yeah. So uh, the more people we get involved, the better. Um, you know, we are, we are a member driven organization. I'll, I'll give a, a current example. I think we might add some relevance. We have a member here in the, in the Kootenai region, lives uh, next door to an ungulate winter range grassland area continually has seen um, I don't want to call it a legal trail building because it's not quite illegal but uh, you know this just this ATV rampant use across this ungulate, ungulate winter range and reported it been reporting it for years and years and years to the to the ministry and it just can't get anywhere so he he came to us and he's been a member for a long time but he came to us but he had already He'd already done all of the research, and he he put together this this letter that we're we're still working on it. But you know, through his initiation from something that he was seeing in his backyard, we're going to be making a, a push to to government to change the way that they legislate and uh, you know oversee ungulate winter range. And and you know whether it goes anywhere, I don't know. But we're making some noise, and we're getting some other organizations involved. And that all came from one member. Um, wasn't something that was on our radar, but it was on his radar and and he brought it to us. So, so that's why, you know, I say that we're a member driven organization as examples like that.
1: I read an article there, um, about a snowmobiler getting quite the hefty fine for, for snowmobiling in an, in an area he shouldn't. So, uh, there's obviously, you guys are obviously creating awareness. Maybe it's not has to do with that specific situation, but, um, all about just getting awareness out there is there any fundraisers you guys are currently working on or you have planned for this year
2: we we do have a a, a couple of fundraisers on the go one of them is uh uh, weatherby has been a a good sponsor of bha and uh, it took a, a bit of work but we we did get a weatherby rifle across the border and we're we're auctioning off that or not auctioning raffling off that you can find the tickets for that at our website jacob mentioned it. Um, it's backcountryhuntersbc.com is uh, where you'll find that and, and memberships. And we're also have a custom made fly rod. One of our chapter leaders in in Prince George, uh, Chad St. amand builds uh, custom rods and he's putting together a custom fly rod. And that's, gonna, that's in, on raffle right now as well. So there's limited tickets on both of those. Uh, I think the rifle's almost sold out and we're drawing it in February, I believe. So that one and the other one is, is April. So those are two fundraisers we're working on right at the moment.
1: Oh, okay. Right on. Yeah, I'm going to put all uh, the uh, information and access t- to you guys' uh, webpage on my webpage and on the show notes of this podcast. So and I'm going to be doing is I'm going to put some packages together, some clothing packages, T-shirts, hats uh, for men and women. I'm going to be selling them and I'm gonna donate all that money to the BC chapter for you guys. So um, wow. hopefully, hopefully that can uh, that can raise a bit of money for you guys as well.
2: Yeah, appreciate that. That's awesome.
1: Absolutely. But uh, you know, it's been a lot of fun chatting with you guys and catching up uh, and meeting you guys. I think, uh, Alan, this is the second time we met, but uh, again, it was yeah. good, to, good to talk to you. And uh, hopefully, we can do it again sometime.
2: We bet. No, these are great. It's a great way to get get the uh, information out, and we're happy to do it
1: that's great okay guys uh thanks for your time and uh we'll talk soon
2: all right thanks Evan.
1: okay bye. you believe that wow i guess it's all worth it